everybody, it's Lil Forward, because uh, we are prepared to broadcast, as per usual. And how are you doing tonight? Crickets. 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 Oh, uh, <laughs> Jess, I'm fine, uh, probably. <laughs> We're waiting for the audience to respond on how they're doing, so. Yeah. Uh, cool. No, all good on the scent. Cool. This is Rob. Hello, That's, Rob. Hello. Kevwar is joining us tonight. Hello, Kevwar. Hello. Catrice is here. Hi, Catrice. Morning. Morning. Catrice, Catrice has told us she may lose power during this broadcast. So, uh, in... Uh, it, wait, it's evening where you are. It's yeah. evening where I am. Deal with that. Yeah, it's morning where Catrice is, where it is also 10 p.m. Actually, it's 11 p.m. <laughs> yes, where it's 11 p.m. <laughs> so, yeah, deal with it. Sorry. Anyway, there's also Mark. Hello. Yeah, Mark's here, too. Hi, Mark. I'm here. Hi. Hey. What's up, dude? You know, I guess I've just been thinking lately about game design. And there's just... <laughs> Some things I just can't seem to get out of my brain, and I uh -huh. figured I would use today as a as a therapy session for myself and talk to you all about it. So, you oh. know, what's really what's really grinding my gears is uh -huh. what goes on between sessions of a game. Is that part of game? Is that still worthy I mean, of our design considerations? I mean, you definitely have to consider whether you want it to exist or at all. I mean, ah, uh, no. What was I going to say? Well, Capwar uh, returns to his well thought out response that wasn't that was kind of kind of died mid sentence. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will. I will say by the reason why I don't have a lot to say on this topic in theory. We'll see if that's proven wrong. Uh, in theory, I haven't played something that assigned me homework and eh, I don't know probably going on nearly three years now it's interesting because I, I almost consider like reading the rule book or preparing if you're a game master preparing for the session as as homework uh, yeah you see you see mark I don't I do some I do sometimes read the rule book and uh, but well before I run a game, and I'll get I'll grant you that one. But my prep for a session is it is my brain sometimes wandering at inconvenient times. And that's <laughs> Which is very fair. Like even with Praxis and how I've designed it, it doesn't have a rigid structure before you jump into a session. Um, so there's not a lot of between game content um, other than if players choose to bring that. But uh, I know that there are a lot of games that do. Um, yeah, most of them are not like powered by the Apocalypse games. Mm -hmm. Which is fair. Like, oh, To be fair, like a lot of games don't want the GM and players to have to do like a lot of work in between sessions, which is totally fair because from what I've experienced, players generally won't do it. Like no matter Could how. Could you up your mic a little bit? Sure. I think. Better. Yes. Okay. 
Sorry. Uh, and Jonathan's kind of here in the audience. Yay. So he may join us or he may remain um, He did audiential. say that he was going to have to sit this one out. Probably, though, he'll probably listen after he's in bed. Very good. So back to the topic. What about for you, Rob? What do you typically engage in many games that have between session content? Um, good question. With the game I'm in right now, uh, which is a uh, low-level D and D game, uh, uh, it yep. It's for the it's for the therapeutic GMing class I'm in. Mm-hmm. Oh right, that. Uh, what was again? What I was gonna. Say. Right. Uh, anyway, so I'm in that right now, and so, uh, D, you know, I am. It's okay. Here, here's something kind of interesting. Uh, fifth edition leveling up, like, almost doesn't. Like, there's almost nothing to do. I have it, noticed it, this. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, like, I made a choice at second level for my druid circle, and that's kind of been it since first level because the druid, like, you get every druid spell known, like, like by default, and so you uh, can just cast. Them using your spell slots, so it's the, you don't you don't even re- prepare spells anymore. You just have like the list, and um, there's no skill picks to do. There's no like the numbers don't even go up. Uh, uh, I just got access to second level spells, so that's pretty cool, I guess. So that there's there's some interesting stuff to do with that, um, but there's nothing for me to do with it, like. I go into D&D Beyond, I click level up, and then that's it. Like, there's no... Yeah. That's it. So, it's interesting. It, I, and, even, and even what's... In, okay, and there's one more thing that I want to bring up about 5th edition. There's, like, no real way to spend loot either. Like, you get money, but I... I there's no, like, magic items to buy or, or anything or equipment to buy beyond, like, what's in the starting stuff. So it's, like, I don't even know what to spend... I've my character's a druid, and I'm like, I feel very comfortable just sort of refusing the gold I get. Because there's no, there's no like, I, I don't notice anything for me to do with it. So. Yeah. That's fair. I, um, I guess I can speak more to the first bit um, of what you're saying about the class-specific stuff, because I felt that same way, where you pick a class, and if you stick with it, you really aren't making all that many choices. You make one around first to third level about your specialty, and then basically everything else flows. And that's kind of nice for for new players getting into the game. Mm -hmm. And what I found made me get more into it is that every level I can kind of consider whether it's more beneficial to Um, Mm multi-class. And that opened up sort of more possibilities for my creative side to be explored in like, is this the most optimal level for my character or is it actually better to just multi-class into something else and get, I don't know, fighter proficiencies or second wind all of a sudden. And um, that made the game a lot more interesting for me to do that little bit of outside of the game uh, playing around. 
Yeah. I mean, it, I, I've noticed that too, but also I noticed that there's a pretty strong incentive for spellcasters to single class. Uh, pretty much no matter what. Like, I kind of considered a monk dip um, because it would, you know, a wisdom uh, bonus to uh, to AC is pretty good, but it actually wouldn't change my AC. I would still have AC 16. Uh, with the, so, it, like, it, it, like, I would drop the hide armor and the shield and mm. and be in the exact same spot, basically. So, uh, there's, like, no real... And I could get the unarmed fighting thing, I suppose, which would be kind of cool, but it does less damage than pretty much every other option I have, like, including wild shape and whatnot. So there's, like, no... I, it, it's interesting. Like, I was looking at the options, and no, not really a ton to, to... I mean, there's some interesting picks in gameplay. Like, there's some nice nice things to do, but uh, you have to be in combat to do them, and this past session, we did not have a combat, so there was no chance to use any of the any of the abilities we picked up uh, mm. from leveling up. Um, so... Yeah. So yeah, it was it was uh, there. There was not much. There's not much going on, which is a contrast from like third edition, which is uh, you know third edition had a, a ton to do. Like leveling right. up was you know spreadsheets. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was it was a big deal. Like you you got skill points that you had to distribute. You your saves might have changed. Your base attack bonus might change. You might get a class ability. You might get spells, and then you would have to uh, choose from a you know, a list of, I don't know, maybe, let's say, conservatively 20 to 30 spells and mm, prepare some. Some of this has still been retained, but as you said, you're using D&D Beyond, you just press a button and it does all that for you automatically. Right. Like, well, I'm saying, I'm saying like, there's, there's fewer choices. Like, mm-hmm. there, no, there's no... fewer choices, yeah. Yeah. That's um, one and, of the and then also... Oh, I'm sorry. And then also, third edition had uh, various ways to spend, like a lot, a very robust, <laughs> priced out magic item system, which right. you can do all kinds of interesting shenanigans with. And I think to that point, I think it makes the game more accessible. Like I think it's easier for people to get into D and D because now the barrier isn't as high. Of okay, go home and and figure out how you want to you know, stat out your, your level mm-hmm. eight character now, um, which is kind of nice. And I think it, it borrows from that feeling of games that are powered by the apocalypse where you can kind of sit down with your, your playbook and mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about the intricacies of how you're going to min-max your character as much. Right. Well, that's the secret about fifth edition. It is just playbooks. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is uh, the only people I have seen people min-max with there was air quotes on that uh 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 oh god powered by the apocalypse characters but when they're doing that they generally know what everything they want to take from the start mm-hmm. so it's just oh good i have enough point i i i got it in advance i will put it in this which i have known i was going to take since before session zero <laughs> right people did that in dnd even like 3.5 which was just filled with things like oh yeah i was gonna say uh you you i are uh, that also most people i know do the same thing with D D. like they're mm-hmm. gonna be like they don't 
make the choices between the session. If they're calculating it out, they probably made the choice three months in advance. But uh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time people plan things out dramatically in advance. Strangely enough, so far I have not had any of my playtesters end up doing that with us for my game, mm. which is kind of odd. Like they actually do look at things more on a level to level basis rather than planning out dramatically in advance because I don't actually know why yet if it's just the individual player things or what like I, it might just be the playtesters I, I felt like I also noticed that a lot with um, when I was playing Lancer with the uh, group of friends where there were almost so many options that we'd get the experience of playing with the new options in game and then waiting until the next level up to really think of too much ahead of that. And I'd say there there'd okay. be a couple times where there'd be like a couple levels that were planned out and you're reaching for them, but um, there was often a lot of changes in the way. So I wonder if that's similar to like just the, the amount of options that you have kind of leads yeah. you to say, I'll test it out first and then come back to building my character next mm -hmm. when I actually get the level up. Yeah, Ari Lancer, uh, from what I know about it, uh, since you can just like totally change your build by changing what robot you get into, mm -hmm. like your combat build, uh, you don't have to plan it three years in advance because um, you can just change what robot you're in. Yeah, I mean, you definitely can. And, and I'll say yeah. that I, I had a couple times where I built a character that was one or two levels ahead just to see is this what I want to work towards or, or something like that? But um, I never really committed to anything. It wasn't the same as what Kafor was saying earlier, where it's like, oh yeah, I'm taking this because now I know exactly what I wanted. Um, it was always a little bit more open and flexible and I'd test things out in the field and then come back and tinker, which felt really fun to, to have that kind of play style. I think part of it might be the, the permanency of the decisions. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. Kovar was saying with, like, if you change, like, which mech you're in, okay, that changes a lot of things. So it's not as tied down to, well, if you choose this, you're stuck with this forever. This is going to be a large part of your character that you can never get rid of. Whereas most of those kinds of decisions for my game, like, I've chosen, like, if you're going to wind up with this kind of this will dramatically alter the fundamental nature of what you're doing, then it tends not to be a permanent choice. It tends mm. to be something that you can probably change out between sessions. Mm. Do you do you find that for your game, um, I don't know how much you've done of going through character creation and, and um, advancing it, Catrice. Do you find that... Um, it's a rewarding and fun experience to go between like sessions or what, what about that experience? Uh, do you say Sarasa has that's unique? Um, for myself personally, I found it to be pretty fun to set stuff up between sessions, um, especially on the GM side of things. Mm -hmm. Cause still running on working towards being able to be run by someone else. 
I do have people who want to run the game. It's just not ready yet. It probably will be within the next couple weeks, though. But, Good uh, luck. Yeah. Don't. don't I, I don't have good luck, so you, don't jinx it, please. <laughs> but um, the, the thing is that, no, it's fine. But the thing is, though, that I built it so the GM side of things should be as quickly and easily done as possible. Like, normally I'm one of those GMs that I do an absurd amount of prep work in most mm. cases. Like, I... I had been forcing myself not to in order to test my game because it's supposed to be able to be run with minimum GM prep work. Like, oh, you want to build like this immense, like complicated boss battle for people to fight against. Yeah, it's done in like three minutes. Okay, <laughs> so if that's a if that's the theory of your game, when you have the GM set up, I I will uh I will do the horrible thing, and I will, I don't say Arsenal's not designed for this, but I will, I will see if, if I can actually set up uh, an encounter in three minutes, because if I could, basic, basically, if I can go in with zero prep, I mean, I'm competent at going on things on the fly, so if I can't do it, that means that you didn't do it well enough, or something, I don't know. I, I had an idea when I was talking about it at the beginning, and then I just kind of lost it. No, I think like one like if you're completely new to the concept it might be a little bit slower the first time just because yeah there's a fair bit of options but it's basically like what I've basically found is like if I'm building like a boss encounter it's essentially like oh there's it's got three slots for strength stat increases it's got two abilities just there's a list of them just go down the list grab one that sounds neat put it in the slot and you're basically done like you don't actually have to like sit there and think about it really hard for a long period of time like it's almost impossible not to get something interesting by just grabbing something that sounds good and slapping it in the slots you'd basically have it's about it takes about as long as you can read through it so if you've read through it before it's faster that's about it it sounds like you've got spent a, a really good amount of time developing the structure of what this like between session aspect looks like for your game um how how much yeah, how much are you dedicating to that in terms of like, are, are you considering that this is like a major aspect of the play experience for the game master to to engage in this, or is this an optional thing? What are you considering when you're building that? It's the kind of thing that I I thought about it from the sense of if you look at most other very large structured games like. Basically, any prior version of D&D before 4th, where uh, anything of Shadowrun, of games like 
Hinema or stuff like that. Basically anything that's a very large detailed game. There was like a lot of prep work to do for the GM and often the players, especially if they're like leveling up in between sessions or something. Um, even not, even if they weren't leveling up, there is usually even things like choosing which spells you had memorized in D&D was a big thing. Um, figuring out what you were going to do with your money in Shadowrun was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, there's these big, large games. There was a lot of thought that went into them. So I tried specifically to make sure that anything that used to take a huge amount of time in a previous game would be quick and easy for mine. Mm. But, (coughs) excuse me. Sorry, coughing. But, um, (laughs) But I also tried to set it up so that anything that would normally slow down gameplay in the game, I actually tried to shuffle it off to in-between sessions. Like, Mm. if you get a new spell in my game, like, you can build fixed spells so that it's like, in the game, you can create a new spell on the spot. It is, it's not going to take that much time, but if you're doing it during, like, your turn, okay, that might take a few minutes, so I don't really want you slowing down the game for everybody. So it's like, you can do this if you want to, like, if it's a case-by-case situation. Okay, yes, you can actually build a spell on the spot. It actually casts slower in the game. Like, it takes more time to cast it because your character doesn't know how to do this. They haven't, like, thought of it before. Mm. So it's a slight penalty so that, like, power gamers and such, they'll look at it and be like, I'm going to build my spell list out of the game when it's not bugging people so that I can cast my spells slightly faster. Mm. Which has so far worked in that regard, but it's like, yeah, it's just trying to shuffle the things that you would do in the middle of a turn that might slow down the game and put in that between sessions. And then it's like, okay, I figured out how to do a fireball exactly. My character now knows how to do a fireball. I don't have to worry about it. Building a new fireball from scratch in the game so I can I can do that quickly and easily in the game. And I don't slow the game down. That's interesting because you also get this sense of like, okay, I'm in the game. I suddenly need a spell. So that first time you cast it, you kind of cobble it together. Maybe it's slow. After the session, the player can go home and be like, that was an amazing spell. I want to have my character develop or have that be part of my character. And now I can spend the time to make it more efficient, to make it better, to have it work exactly how I want to. And I think that that's that's amazing because then it shows that your character is progressing from that that one-off instance as well to the refined uh, version of it down the line. Mm-hmm. 
which is great. Yeah, it's been really nice. And so far, it's been working pretty well. Um, Generally, I've tried to make sure that, like, there is stuff to do in between sessions if you want to do it, but I've also found that a lot of players will not do stuff in between sessions no matter what you do. So it can't be something that's an absolute necessity. It can only be things that are a slight nudge in that direction. Like if the player, like some players will not level up their characters in between sessions. They're just not going to do it. Right. Like, it's easy in something like um, a Powered by the Apocalypse game. You basically pick from a list of, like, maybe 10, 15 things. And you pick one thing, usually, and that's it. So there's not much thought that goes into it. You can do that during a session. It'll take, like, five minutes at most kind of thing, right? Right. So it doesn't matter. Like, I want there to be more options than part by the apocalypse or D&D 5th edition where it's like okay I uh there was one option so I picked it <laughs> I oh god I'm gonna say what was I gonna say I was gonna say a uh, very few powered by the oh, this games give you one option but uh no I know that's I was referring to D&D is the scary part yeah it yeah, okay. is worrying to a degree that D&D actually has less choices in it in between sessions than Powered by the Apocalypse games. Yes, a, cho- a choice that most of the time you just make in the middle of the session, uh, even if you didn't yeah. know the answer already. Yeah, it's not that complex mm. in Powered by the Apocalypse games. It's usually fairly straightforward so you usually get an idea of probably what you're going to move towards by the time you get to it yeah. so it's really weird that fifth edition D actually has even less to do than that hmm. like rather than have it be easy to make the decisions it just it's like yeah there's no decision to make It's interesting, too, because I, I think in designing for that space between sessions, you leave a lot more game to be explored. Like Someone who's really in love with Seorsa or their campaign in Seorsa can go home and be like, I want to continue playing and engaging in this game on my own time. And it doesn't detract from anyone else's experience. It's a solo thing that can be done that rewards them for it, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a you you've added a single player component to your multiplayer game that someone can choose to engage in if they want to. Oh, this is reminding me of. I feel like I'm failing one of my frequent players because, uh, they because they want because I don't generally run games where they can spend three hours designing something <laughs> <laughs> in their free time, and they are extremely the person who has read the book. And right. as can tell everybody else, build ideas in fourth edition because I happen to know that they <laughs> that they do that. If somebody gives them a concept, they can just spit out like, "Okay, here's a fourth edition progression for you," mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. I think is like the most complicated version of a D and D progression. I 
I actually terms don't of choices. know about that because fourth edition actually has pretty structured. Uh, like, I guess it's very structured. Yeah, there is. Like, it, and there's it, a lot of things that have a best option too. So maybe that. There yeah. are like a lot of it. It's like, okay, you've leveled up as a druid. Here are three abilities for a druid. Pick one of them. And it's like, usually it's, there's one that's physical combat shape-shifting styled one of them that's healing one of them that's arranged spell of some sort you pick one of them so it kind of limits your choices like there's usually only one that matters for you at any given time hmm. so it is interesting though that that's how that works like i've tried to make it so that it's mostly optional like yeah there's a little bit of math for figuring out like if your damage hasn't increased or something like i try to keep that between sessions like i'm right. going through on this pass of updating all the mechanics right now so that once you're in combat your damage output probably will not change like mm. Like, I don't want you having to recalculate it in the middle of a turn. Okay, that's a noble endeavor. <laughs> I, I, I do actually find uh, random damage numbers very frustrating when you're trying to when you're trying to do calculated combat. Yeah, like I'm, like you can change the amount of damage you do to a degree by like adjusting a target's armor so that it doesn't resist as much but at most that's like half and full steps so like you either take full damage half damage or no damage there you go that's as simple as i can do with that kind of thing right <laughs> so that's relatively easy the amount of damage you do on the attack itself will not go up or down instead it'll just be Oh, because you did it this way, you get three hits of weapon damage instead of two. But your weapon damage doesn't change. Preferably. Okay. I was going to ask. So, all buffs are plus weapon damage. It's usually just an extra hit or something like that. Or it hits more targets or, mm -hmm. you know, basically anything that won't make you recalculate stuff, if at all possible. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, uh, in sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, the bit I object is the uh, <laughs> to would be the fact. Yeah, anyway, never mind. Sorry. No, it's totally fair. But yeah, I've been trying to restrict the amount of stuff that you have to do in between. Um, when anybody is waiting for you. So, like, if it's in combat, I want your choices to be as streamlined as possible that you can basically plan out your entire turn before it's your turn. Mm. So, by the time it's your turn, you've already figured it all out, and you don't have to slow down the game. If it's... If I can, I will shift it the burden of that thing, like the way spells are done for, as mentioned earlier, between sessions, it's the kind of thing that 
it's only going to take you a minute or two, but it's a minute or two when somebody else was waiting for you kind of thing. I'd rather mm-hmm. that be happening when there's nobody waiting for you to do that. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And I think in that, like, that part of the game is also very mechanically focused. But I think there's also a lot to say about um, choosing to use the time between sessions for the role play or setting development or character development that um, also is something that, you know, you can explore and that in certain games, either you wouldn't want to take that time away from the other players where one player wants to explore their character and uh, go further in depth and and maybe it's um, not to everyone's interest to explore that. or just for the that player themselves, that they can explore sort of an RP area of um, just chatting with um, the, the game master in an RP way. Uh, I know there are a lot of games that are done online now where they have just an RP area for between sessions where the characters can like talk as though they're just at the tavern with each other. Um, I was curious if that's something that you consider in some of your games as well. And, I'll also bug Rob here because uh, Rob's been pretty quiet so far about uh, the the b- between session stuff, but I think that'll apply a lot to Ashes. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Um. Do you do a lot of that, um, or do you have any ideas of how to manage the the role play elements uh, between sessions of your game? Hmm. Um, no. <laughs> okay. No, no, I, mean... I don't. I generally, I generally, my, I guess my philosophy is I don't want to be doing anything if I'm not at the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's, okay, so players could, mm, hypothetically, the player, a player could do a bunch of stuff in their journal uh and um sort of have things that they want to do and resolve that don't require anybody else or other like any anybody else's input to deal with um there could hypothetically be fallout for everybody from that so it's kind of uh well let's see could there be no they would still have they would get to a stopping point before there would be fallout or not basically they'd get to exert themselves more and burn i mean potentially burn themselves out more right um and that that could have results for other the the rest of the group um but that that would be resolved once everybody were together again so even if you did want to do that but that's not like i one of the things that bugged me about other games that I was trying to resolve with Ashes was um, the disparity in mastery, system mastery that comes from having a stack of information that you can learn about the game right. that people will digest asymmetrically. Mm-hmm. So I would rather that. I guess I suppose I would rather that people interact with the game roughly the same amount of time. Um, so I don't put 
there's nothing really to plan in Ashes because I'd never... I mean, there's there's still lists of discrete abilities, but even those are pretty... I don't know if they're generic, really. I mean, you you're, you sort of at, you're sort of asked how they've come about for you, so they they can be specific, and that can still have, um, yeah, I'm gonna specific effects. But like, it's not like you can plan a build out, right? That's that would be. I mean, you could, you could, right? Once you played it once, you could you could you could plan something out and then fulfill it and see what that's like. Um, what about different... the the setting elements that are like? I know you have the threads that mm -hmm. interconnect and, and interweave. And that, that kind of reminds me of what um, uh, Stars Against Number was doing with trying to establish sort of these ideas of like, um, the, the world is moving on in multiple different ways mm -hmm. um, while you are not engaging with them. And to me, that feels like sort of an out of session uh, activity, or at least that's how Stars Against Number, or Stars Without Number, sorry. Yeah, except, except in uh, Ashes of the Magi, getting information outside of the outside of gameplay, the because the fundamental gameplay is finding is discovering information in various ways. Uh, the idea of fleshing out information outside of gameplay doesn't really mesh with the uh, with the fact that information is an active thing i don't mm -hmm. know how to phrase it better than that that's i i'm i am i mean i'm not that surprised that you were able to give a very succinct answer to how i do it but yeah there's <laughs> that it, it's the kind of thing where it's like there wouldn't be a point like that's that that is just gameplay that's just you're just doing it at a different scope right, right. so it's just yeah. like oh i okay so because it's focused on what the players care about, it's like you track the factions the players care about. So, I mean, and their opposition, right? So so you will, if the player cares about a faction and there's something that is threatening them, then that's something that becomes gameplay. And you, so, but the game doesn't start with that as a mechanic, right? That's That, that happens as you as you progress through the game and sort of scale up the mechanics to uh from your like your immediate surroundings to a troop to um uh, uh, some other characters to uh a larger faction perhaps or um even an entire region if if that becomes a thing if if your if your group of people effectively start controlling uh a small city then dealing with other small cities may be something that you do in the game but mm -hmm. that's that's I, that's something that that becomes up to the players yeah. you know there's a there's a sometimes there's a very forced progression um and so that's that's what i've kind of shied away from so i don't exactly know what what's going to be considered like in i mean people could conceptualize okay my character's doing something mm -hmm. that's in game and then whatever my faction is doing is not quote unquote in game right mm -hmm. uh so that's 
for me that's not a that's not a that's not a salient separation because you're not it's playing still a single character. What's that? You're not playing a single character in Ashes, so well, no, it doesn't have the same distinction as it would in many other games. Honestly, I think about the only real thing in this particular question, like the the RP stuff between sessions that you'd get in Rob's Ashes. The Magi is basically the person who's the conspiracy theorist with the corkboard can have fun adding more notes and thumbtacks in between the sessions, but they're they're not really getting any more newspaper clippings. They're just basically adding more thumbtacks and <laughs> more strings between them. And then when the game starts, they can just dump it on the table for everybody else and be like, look at all this stuff I figured out. It's like, we already figured out this information though. Yeah. I figured out is in air quotes there. Also, I guess like if you have if you want to try to figure out what a increased uh RP between sessions in Ashes of Magi would be, the only way I can think of doing it is uh you come into a session with a list of insane theories and rumors that you ha that you have and you discuss them and the table can discuss how outlandish they are. <laughs> and what you want to and if you want to pursue any of the ones that any of the things that you think might be true that you came up with between sessions because if your brain works like mine and you were in ashes of the magi campaign you'd probably get those ideas and you might decide to remember them well yeah if that specifically asked you for like worst case you know figure out the worst case scenario for this so you can that that's bottomless really so yeah, you know. I mean, I kind of was like going to say, worst case scenarios are are usually rather defined if you're finding the absolute worst, but that's not usually how people use it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I, what like, I have the to more say, time you have to think about it, it, it can always get worse. How can it get worse? Give me more time, I'll come up with something worse. <laughs> yeah, but there is a certain dead end in Ashes Lamaja. Uh, what I was going to say is about is already between session our face off. Um, since a lot of what I run, uh, oh god, I actually do it. Okay, so I do kind of have a between session RP stuff in one of my games that I'm actively running right now. Uh, except for I stick it at the end of the session, and you get ex and it adds your exp tracker. Okay. And a formal discussion, so not really. But I guess it's interesting because you've chosen you've chosen to move it to a certain segment of the game. Yeah, but like, yeah. Uh, for reference, and the current version of mostly about witches, at the end of each session, uh, you tell what your involvement with what you are doing between sessions with like between now and the next session with each with each side of the community and yeah that's just a mechanic now i guess until i can find a better way to do it because it is something that other people should be aware of and it is something that uh you should be thinking about so i put it in the rules for now i mean it's not necessarily a bad way to do it yeah 
Yeah, there, there. It's gone through a few iterations. Uh, it used to be a random roll to see how uh, screwed over you were by the two communities, but uh, rolling two sets of dice at the end of every session per player was awkward and cumbersome. Yeah, mm. I can kind of see that. Like, it's... <laughs> I mean, you can do it, but... Yeah, that doesn't really feel appropriate. Like, that almost feels like a round of combat or something. Yeah, yeah well... Mm. Yeah. That, like, that was the original version. Uh, because I wanted to make something that is a number more relevant, and right now it's only relevant in one place, but that's fine. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's weird. Like, um, I'm noticing that, like, none of our games really want between session stuff. I have some for that, but it, I very explicitly made it all optional. Right. Because, right. like, there is stuff you can do between sessions for RP if you want it. And I have had players take me up on it like um one of the things is like when you learn something about your character's sin or their path to redemption in the gameplay like usually this gives potential that they'll eventually turn into steps along the path which is basically like you you've encountered some something that will make you reevaluate like where your place in the world is or your thought process on like who you are what you're doing with your life kind of thing but it doesn't take place automatically like it's something that I, it's like the kind of thing that you have to sit down and think about sort of thing instead and normally you can do this uh in automatic ways like say between each session it's supposed to be basically a month of downtime you can do whatever you want in there this is to give people something to do in between the sessions if they want to um, one of the things they can do there is they can basically just meditate on it on their own while they're in their their room at their stronghold whatever it's fine like you have time to think about it and you just come back to the next session you've basically done it it was an automated thing you could potentially talk things over with the gm's character like their guardian angel this is set up so that if you want to role play in between the sessions so like if you're thinking like oh this is something that they actually need to talk this through with someone to actually come to this revelation kind of thing. Okay, you can just talk to the GM or you could do like a meal with the other players on like a side thing. So like if you set it up like here's a social thing in between sessions, you could literally like there's literally a thing for just the player characters are sitting down having a meal discussing like the things that they've gone through and mm -hmm. you could do that in between the sessions pretty easily and it it won't really affect the gameplay a whole bunch but it'll be like 
instead of just, yeah, this is resolved automatically. It's like, okay, the characters can actually talk about like the things that they've been going through in between the session and it'll actually resolve this uh, conversion from potential into actually, you know, taking your steps on your path to redemption kind of thing. So it's like, you can do this if you want to. You don't have to, but it's an option now. Mm. And nobody's taking advantage of the talking with other characters ones, but I've had a couple instances of people talking with the GM about it. So at least that's getting some use, but it's like, that's about the limit of what I want it to be. Like, I don't really want to have it set up so that the players have to spend a lot of role-playing time away from each other because then they miss the role-playing with each other. Yeah, that, I, I talk, completely get that. I think there's an element of there being sort of um, conversations that often occur between the players and whether or not your game can extend to that point where, like, I know there are a lot of Discord communities that have extra channels. Um, I've seen that in a few games where they just throw in an RP channel. And it's just a way of getting extra content, I guess. Um, I don't see a lot of games that have that as a structured element of their, like, what their their experience is. Like, but uh, I'm curious if that's, I guess, there's a reflection of, like, what I'm seeing actually happen in some communities that want this. And I don't see that there are that many games that design for that. Um, okay. Uh, my question is, uh, does Praxis have, given how Praxis works and like your like the fact that each of your actions contributes to who you are and you are supposed to, and gameplay is the developing characters and the bonds between you, how does Praxis allow for this if it's relevant to Praxis? Uh, I don't think it is relevant to Praxis. Praxis is like so improv heavy. Um, there's there's almost nothing, or there is nothing between sessions, and I think um, that's what I love about it. Because how I typically run games is very low prep, and um, what I wanted was the game itself to be contained within the play session. I wanted the, the game master to be able to come in and say, you know what, I don't really know what I want to run with, but based on the input of the players and the mechanics of the game, and in this sense, the, the GM deck, the game feeds me with content to run at the players. Um, so the uh, whole idea of the GM deck is to say, I don't need to prep because the important elements of the game world are, are sort of self-contained within this tool, and I get to employ that tool to tell an interesting story. Um, part of like what I want to do, I think, in future game design is to be able to say, as a game master, there's a certain arc or a certain tone or feel that I want to give to this particular session. There's a, there's a context or narrative that I want to tell, and to have that be applied in that improv-focused uh, way. And I don't really know how to design that. But that'll probably be a topic for another session. But I find that right now, I'm required as the game master 
to spend that out of game time to develop that kind of tone or feel or you know what that um session should look like and um i i, I don't think that really fits in with praxis's um ethos of how it's designed yeah okay so then the question is oh yeah you did kind of cover that i was gonna ask why did you bring it up if, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just sort of like what what my uh ideas are for future game designs like praxis is is self-contained and i think that it's 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 beautiful in how it does that so i'm happy with it um for for myself, what I'd really like to do is be able to empower the players and the game masters to be more reactive in the way that Catrice is describing with um, with Sayorsa, where a lot of the mechanics of the game could be improvised on the spot. Um, but I want that for the game master as well, in the sense of how do I tell a narrative or how do I weave a story in a way that I don't need to spend hours thinking about how this... Um, the the world around is fleshed out and maybe that's like not possible but um i hope it's possible yeah that's that's what <laughs> i'm curious about <laughs> my whole game <laughs> i think it really comes down to the setting on that more than the game's mechanics exactly like your setting is designed in such a way that the players create the mm-hmm. the world at the start so that they can set it up so it does work like that. Rob's is already built in such a way that this is how it works. Exactly. Like mine's built like that. Specifically, I've gone out of my way to make sure that, yeah, you can come up with stuff on the off the top of your head. It's like, oh, I want there to be a mountain here. Okay, there's a mountain here. Like I've literally had players walking between two destinations and a mountain popped up in between them because <laughs> I thought of it off the top of my head and it's like it just rose out of the ground in front mm-hmm. of them and they're like, is this for us or is it somebody else's stuff? And they <laughs> actually spent a little bit of time exploring the mountain and then they decided that they found like an entrance to lead into like a dungeon inside of it. And then they decided that then we don't really need to do this right now. We'll, we'll come back to it on our trip back maybe. Mm. And it's like, it's the thing that they could have explored if they wanted to. And it was set up so that it came up off the top of my head. There could have been a dungeon if they wanted a dungeon, they decided they didn't want to bother with it. So they didn't. Yep. Yeah, I just mechanized that a little bit more. Yeah, but yeah. that it's something that this should be built into the setting that this is possible to happen. Otherwise, like if you try to use like uh, your a stereotypical like Kingmaker game, it won't really work that well just because of the nature of how that works usually. What? What do you mean? Like that that was that that didn't I don't there was no content in the last part of that sentence. <laughs> well, what what do you mean there in a kingmaker game it doesn't work the way it works? I'm not Yeah, sure sorry. Um in the sense 
of if you're trying to make a, a setting where there's a kingmaker game where you basically have we're building this city or country or whatever we're making decisions about building up the nature of the world as we go okay <clears throat> the way that's set up though like mechanically it doesn't really allow for those spur of the moment things in a lot of the same ways like you basically have to put more thought into building up the the setting and potential things that are going wrong outside of the game in advance like mm. it, no. I, well, I mean, at least I don't have to. You might not have to. I've not seen a Kingmaker game so far that would feel like it has been done appropriately or well, where there wasn't a fair amount of prep work in between the sessions. Right. Well, that's what, that's exactly what I'm trying to design. So, I mean, yeah. It, but so the way... The way I do it is <clears throat> I start with what the players want for their characters. Assume that there's an environment where they developed the need for that want. Express that need as a threat and then put it in the environment. So... Mm. Mm-hmm. So I assume that so like okay so like to to, to take an example make a concrete example in in D and D that would make sense. There there's there are wizards. Your your character is a wizard, meaning that there is something that uh, wizards are. But let's see. So I would probably ask the character the, the player at that point like, what school of wizardry are they? And it's like okay, so I'm going to be a uh, diviner. Okay, so there is a whole bunch of uncertainty at one point for there to be a school of divination in this place that taught you this stuff. There's going to have to be a giant sense of uncertainty that this uh, was fil- fulfilling the need for in, in this society. So with that assumption, then there's, okay, so where would the uncertainty come from? And then you're, that's sort of like you're working backwards from the character out. So like whatever the character feels uncertain about that sort of happens in the macro and then that becomes like the big the big threat so uh if the character uh divinations are like aimed towards um i I don't know it's so much of it so so much of it relies on player input it's actually kind of hard for me to come up with a concrete example this actually is the issue, I think, though, like I can only have the structure. See, that's the thing. So, no, like, once once the play that I need, I need player input to just determine like how it foliates out because the player input would determine what particular social, like macro scale threat created the concrete manifestation that they're afraid of. So it would be something like yeah. The cru- the overwhelming amount of cruelty in the society created this enemy that now they're terrified of. But, yeah, but this yeah. this actually okay. This is 
crystallize my thoughts on it a little bit easier. Sure. So the issue is that when things are focused on the players, like Mark's game, your game, my game, like it's actually pretty easy to do this. The reason why I pointed out Kingmaker games in particular is because they're not normally actually focused on the players. They're focused on like an external concept, like something like, oh, an army is invading, attacking the kingdom. And then the players react to this outside mm. influence, which is affecting something external to them. You've internalized this into the players. And that's why it happens. So because of that, it works for your game. But if you were doing, like, say, a D&D game being run as a Kingmaker game, mm -hmm. it, it's not focused on the players. Like, the players, the player characters are almost superfluous to the concept. So because of that, it has to have, like, a lot of external world building mm -hmm. in between sessions by, by the Dungeon Master in this case. Because... Mm -hmm they kind of have to by this the nature of the game because it's not focused on the players. As soon as you make it so that it's focused on the players, it has to take place during the game. It has to be done as improv. It can't really be this super elaborate thing that's you've spent like weeks building up to this story point because you can only really do that if there's no input from the players. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I take your point, but I, I mean, I mean, part of me wants to kind of defend the, the alternate approach, but I'm designing a game specific, specifically to contravene that approach because I, I have noticed that it is often, I don't want to say it's wasted effort, but it, it it definitely is. Like, no, 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 no. I don't think there's anything that's like wasted effort. Like going through those games, like familiarizing yourself with the rules and how things work does make you a better GM overall, probably. Uh, but sort of. But if you're like, let's face it, if the GM is going to spend like if you eighteen spend... hours in between sessions building up this plot point for the player characters, who then go, yeah, that's not interesting. And they just walk off and ignore it, and it's like. It was wasted effort. I'm sorry. Like you, you built something that the players didn't interact with. Right. Well, there's that too. I mean, that that that. Yes. Yes, that part is wasted effort. Where where the, if you built something and there's non engagement, or if it's, you know, let's say you you build an encounter uh, with some monsters and you really kind of fine tune the monsters and the players immediately figure out something and and just you know either one shot the monster or totally circumvent the encounter and um yeah it's it's, it's effort that you're like well i spent three hours of time for five minutes of gameplay and it wasn't a good five minutes <laughs> so, so why you know you do that enough times you go well okay i've had way better moments where i was just improving in between players if i have a little bit of scaffolding for that then i actually don't need to do hours of prep maybe i can do like mm -hmm. 20 minutes just getting the stats together and in a place where i can access them quickly and then like if i need to put some enemies somewhere i can i have some some stats on on the ready but yeah that's why yeah. i ended up building my 
the way that I've made uh, like boss encounters and such the way I have, or any combat encounter, but bosses are the most complicated version. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's meant so that, oh, well, if the players bypassed it in five minutes, it's not a big deal because it didn't even take me five minutes to build it. So it's like, I didn't get much out of it, but it was like, oh, well, it was a minimal amount of investment. I didn't lose that much, so yeah, it's fine. Like, if yeah. they come up with some bizarre, zany way of bypassing this, this encounter and it doesn't end up going to combat, then I don't feel like it was wasted time that I built the stats for it. Right. I mean, I, I think for me, 4th edition was was something that really helped with that because of how easy the encounter building was. And so if there was some opportunity for the players to cleverly leverage their abilities to to get around to combat, that it didn't feel like... I, was, I wasn't so invested in having the combat happen so that the cool mechanics I built into the enemies could work. You know what I mean? Because there was a desire definitely for like, oh, this is this is gonna be a fun encounter. This is gonna I have some some tricks up these enemy sleeves and this is gonna be like a kind of surprise thing and, and there's some interesting things to throw at the players. And you get invested in making the encounter happen. So sometimes you'll just make the fight happen no matter what. Uh but I think in fourth edition games that have the lower prep uh, where it's like you can take a stat block and either quickly modify it or come up with a stat block kind of in your head uh, because the math of the game is such that you don't you only need a few numbers or it's relatively easy to figure out that you know it doesn't it you don't you don't feel so invested when yeah. something something circumvents it and I, I think that's o- overall better for the game for the GM to be less attached to the outcome of what the players do because if i i think a lot of times when games start to go sideways is because there's an attachment from the game master to sort of have the story go the way they need it to go and it feels very much like the players are yeah i think players are sensitive to their agency slipping away when that happens Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't feel good so to, to the extent that you can build a game to avoid that situation where where you have the gm have like investing a lot of time in in making your game work and then becomes attached to the outcome of, of the story and thus uh sort of undermines the point of what i think our pgs are about which is communal storytelling i think it's probably better so yeah, if for that reason i actually tr- watch i'm sorry you want to avoid the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, yeah, avoid sunk cost fallacy. But that's also why I avoid in between session stuff because it that creates it creates a larger opportunity for asymmetrical investment, and I don't think that's largely positive for a communal activity. I think you want to have roughly equal investment, um, and I've seen I've seen that happen with players too, where players. Uh, will construct a build that they really want to have happen during the game or a set of, you know, a, a string of actions or, or, you know, something they, they really want to have come together. And then sessions become about forcing that to occur, the thing that they've mm-hmm. built up in the off session. Um, and it, it turns 
it becomes ham-fisted and the story goes somewhere sort of awkward and again people feel their agency sort of slipping away in order to uh support somebody else's um place where they can feel they can ha- they can they can feel the gain from the inv- the time investment that they put in because that's a justifiable want on their part like they put the time in like they invested some time into finding some cool options why shouldn't they have like a payoff for that i just feel that oftentimes providing an asymmetrical way of engaging with the game often leads into asymmetrical engagement within the session uh and so i've noticed that yeah i've noticed that where i I, i'm trying to have a and the thing is is like because i have the journaling thing happening the level of engagement you have with that kind of material is kind of up to you so you can kind of explore those things without necessarily involving the other players which is something i think that's positive if if that's the thing you want to do right yeah uh, I'm sorry, Catrice, you can go ahead if this is uh, related, because I was going to slightly switch. No, I was actually going to bring it back to, like, your previous question, Mark, because Rob's kind of leaning back into where you had been getting at with that, mm. which was, like, the thing about, like, having games that are set up so that the players can choose to do things between themselves between sessions like you know the idea of like oh there's an an rp section on like their discord server so that they can keep role playing in between the session like talking about um you know banter at in the tavern and such like that like how would you structure that into a game and i think rubs kind of got the point that it's it's not something that games probably really should build as like an overarching thing in the game's mechanics on a regular basis because I think this really gets into an issue of the asymmetric thing like oh the one player doesn't want to do this and it just kind of falls apart if they don't like they're going to feel like they're almost playing a different game than everybody else kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And some players will want to do this, and they'll do so in between sessions just fine. Like, I, I've known people that they do this kind of thing, and it's it works fine for the players that really love the role playing and like they want it to be 24 7 kind of thing like they always want to be role playing and but if you put them into a game with people that are not like that where they aren't role playing 24 7 uh it it doesn't work quite so well there yeah so there's there i i I ran a game uh of mage the awakening and had a in-game forum run by an in-game faction and that was available to, i made that forum like available to the players and i had multiple characters where i would post uh in between session stuff 
happening between NPCs and giving and sort of delivering um, sort of a pre-game agenda in that way where I could um, sort of review as in-character banter like what had gone on and then um, let, let the players ask questions and stuff like that. Uh, and that that worked, but again, you I got that that sort of asymmetrical engagement where um, some of the players, I would say half the players, um, were frequently posting, and then the other half like weren't posting at all. And it wasn't necessarily split between people who liked role playing and liked um, the mechanical stuff. Uh, I, I in fact, the players that were more mechanically oriented were contributing more often on the RP forums, which was weird. But it was like level of how how much they really wanted to voluntarily engage with the setting and and the game as a whole uh, expressed itself in that place through a different degree of asymmetry. And th- these are the kind of players that would build their own spells in in Mage of the Awakening and, you know, have a list of stuff like that. And they were also the ones that engaged the most with that, with the online material, like um, mm-hmm. sort of the, the more role-playing focused players didn't really, it was just, it was just a bit too disconnected for them, I think. And I don't know beyond that. Like I think that was I think that was it, but that it was it's hard to tell. But I noticed that the overall level of engagement that you allow players to have with the game, though some players will just fill that vacuum no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what I was getting at with there yep. being some players that they want to be playing twenty four seven. Like right. I even had earlier this week, somebody actually two people were talking to me about like they want role playing more, and it's like I've got a list of like four different character ideas I want to play, and I've run out of games to play them in. <laughs> I mean, I could start another game up and play it, but then I'd have to get players for it. And it's like, yeah, some people just want to role play constantly, like all day, every day. That's like they would be totally content and happy with that being absolutely a hundred percent of all their waking hours. They will fill any void that you give them to fill it with. Mm-hmm. So to answer Mark's thing for building this into the game mechanically, I don't think you can outside of a niche game where it's got a very specific type of player base where it assumes all of the players are going to be this kind of player. Because otherwise it's going to wind up being heavily split between some players that that's not like that take advantage of that and and then others that don't yeah yeah sorry it smelled like melting plastic or something i'll be right back okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good smell to check on right Oh god, what was I gonna say? Yeah, to loop back to the forum thing, uh it's a lot of the people who uh I know who 
like get into the role-playing aspects during like session to session whereas others won't it's because they like the very specific type of back and forth and i'm definitely one of them i don't have a whole lot of pay i would not have a whole lot of patience for posting on a forum <laughs> like disconnected from kinesis uh, that would appeal to me significantly less so i kind of get that mm -hmm. yeah 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 and and for some people that like the play by post thing is you know something they're very comfortable with and that I, that's the thing there's um uh shoot i'm blanking on the name of the game right now the big black cube game monty cooks um i know chubo's wish counting engine specifically has suggestions for how to do the game play by post oh yes well that's one uh but another <laughs> On Invisible oh. Sun, thank you. Yes, yep. Invisible Sun has uh, uh, explicit rules for doing that sort of out of out of game stuff. Oh, interesting. Um, and there's I I the box itself is actually a little bit too oblique for me to even like try and disentangle which of the four books <laughs> to read first. Like I started reading what I thought was the player one, and I'm like, "There's something about this that's just so off-putting that I can't. Like I don't want to engage with this. It's mm -hmm. it's really bizarre. Like I because it seems to me like on paper it's exactly the kind of thing I'm into: big weird black box with crazy amount of material in it and some weird esoteric like a cloth paper." like a cloth mat where you put down circular cards that are imagistic and yeah, totally on paper. Sounds exactly like what I want. I start opening the game. I can't figure out actually what I'm supposed to do with it. And I don't, I, this is, I, I, it's not like I haven't tried. Like there have been times when I, I pick it up off the shelf. I open it up. I crack open a book. I read it for like 20 minutes and I go, I don't know what to do with this. And then I put it back, I put it back, and I, I've had that experience probably like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten times now? Where, and then there's like, there's probably like 400 plus, I don't know how many cards come with the friggin' game that are like character abilities, but those are still in plastic, because I'm not, I'm not opening that shit up <laughs> and getting those cards everywhere. Right. Uh, but it, it, it's so it's so it's such a profoundly um, uninviting experience from something that looks like I would really want to try it, and I can I, like I still want to do something with it because there's a sort of like as Catrice was saying, some cost fallacy because. <laughs> I bought it and I want to, I want to try and use it somehow or at least get something out of it. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 I don't know. Still haven't. So. It's interesting. I, I wonder how much of like the, that idea of wanting more out of your game. Is that. Like, I, I find that I'm too busy to engage in some aspects of the game. And that's why I think Praxis suits me really well right mm -hmm. now with where I am. Um, and I wonder if that's like just because I'm getting older and I'm less of a like 14-year-old who can spend all day 
just wanting to role play and and hang out with the the same kids that I go to high school with and and do this. Um, and I wonder if that's a, an aspect of the game design market of like, is this a game that includes you know the uh, some of those in between session moments, and that's great for people who have the time to dedicate towards it. And whether that's a market for like. 14 year olds who are getting into role playing games or, or adults who have that free time. Um, like Lancer is something that can consume your entirety of just like how figure out what your build is and how to like cobble all these pieces together to make your, your ideal mech. Um, and I feel like that's an aspect of the game that I think is really interesting that I, I don't know, I don't really consider often in design is like, do the people who play this game have the time to dedicate towards building or like investing themselves in understanding the game and understanding the rules or, or digging into it to the same depth that I would want to, or that uh, I, I would imagine them having the time to. Mm. Yeah. I've definitely made that consideration like that. Ashes is very much about stripping all that away right? and not having not having not having any choices to make outside the game. Like you make a choice, probably if you're picking, uh, you know, like advancing in the Arcana and getting a different discrete ability that's happening that's happening at the beginning or end of the session, or it's happening as part of a journal entry, and it's not something other players have to wait for. Mm. So for, I mean, I have designed games where it's like there is strategy to how you build your character and there's better and worse ways. And I, at this point in my life, I wouldn't play a game like that anymore. Right. So I, I do, I could not design one from a place of enjoyment. If it were, if I were designing a game like that, it would be purely to sell it to somebody and there would be a, lesser degree of investment on my part to make it something I would actually want because the premise itself would be something I'm not interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Weird one. Also, for anybody who's concerned, it's listeners. I think it's just coming from outside. Should be fine. So nobody panics. Okay. Anyway. But um the the thing about like investing in that way where there's like a clearly superior way to build a character that this this is going to be flat out better if you do it this way mm-hmm. i don't know my i don't really care for there being things that way because it means that some players will invariably end up being flat out better than others and mm-hmm. this does cause problems like i have been in games where this is the case i believe i think it was the hero system i had that situation where the it's like extremely exaggerated there where you can build like your superhero powers on like a point by a system but if you have system mastery you can build the same ability like a dozen different ways and some of them will cost literally 10 times the points of others Right, students and masterminds had similar had similar things like that. Any any um, in my experience, any system where you are allowed to build your own powers from a list of scalar variables, uh, 
you can do all kinds of fucky stuff with by you know attaching disadvantages to powers such that you will almost never run up against the disadvantage and doing that in cunning ways is often a way to you know make characters way hit hit way above their weight class for what you're paying for yeah i i actually think i've managed to have like that in my spell system fortunately mm-hmm. but the the thing is though that like if you do it that way so that there's you're balancing like pros and cons against each other and the disadvantages you can only use this ability while it's while you're outdoors and it's like everything is outdoors with enough explosives so you know yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> oh my god what's it gonna say uh, yeah i mean the only good what i like in a supers game is is mechanics where the scale of the individual's powers no longer cease to matter so you don't have to try to game it that is right. what i want out of a supers game so you can just have whatever esoteric powers suit the character's personality and you don't have to worry about the fact that one person is literally an eldritch abomination that destroys reality <laughs> by their every action and another person's power is uh they They're fight batman. good yeah <laughs> Yeah, Batman and Superman are in the same team. That's all you. If if a ha- if a supers game can handle that and make it work, that's a, probably a good supers game. Yeah, the problem is a lot of games don't do that. Like I, no. I've encountered that even in like D anD D, where there's like one player basically min maxes their character to extreme degrees to the point that the rest of the party may as well not show up because anything that's a challenge for this one character is going to defeat all of the other party members combined and they're not going to be able to do anything back against it. Right. Like it, it was really obvious in a couple of games where this happened, where they had like not just D&D, but any game where it's like there's a fairly narrow range of your hit chance compared to the enemy's defenses like that that seems to end up being this really obvious god stat is your chance to hit mm-hmm. if you're only supposed to have like a 50 percent chance to hit normally and this one person has like a hundred percent to hit mm-hmm then the game usually ends up having to be balanced to they have a 50% chance to hit, which generally means everybody else now has a 0% chance to hit. Right. And this makes it really blatantly obvious that this is a foundational cracking point. Like, this totally breaks D&D totally. Like, as soon as you hit, like a character with like plus 30 to hit somehow like anybody else that does not have plus 30 to hit can no longer hit if that character is going to ever face a challenge again yep yeah if you have if you have wildly wildly divergent mathematical player abilities not bit like Kevor's talking about like yes you can have an eldritch abomination and uh Squirrel Girl on the same team. Hey, Squirrel Girl, Squirrel's actual power is being able to defeat anyone with kindness, so 
you know, that, that's way more powerful than being an Eldritch Abomination. I think my point stands. So oh, if yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Pro Girl is the Eldritch Abomination is the problem. Yeah, basically. So uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the thing, the, th- the, the point being, like, if that's something the game can handle, it's probably not basing those divergences on the math. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's all. I think that's fine. Like, yeah, I should. Uh, I think that's probably why I've managed to get away with it in my game, just because like there are differences in the math, but the differences are things that you can always change. So it's like this character is objectively stronger than this other character, but in the actual gameplay, it doesn't actually necessarily matter that much. It just means that this character, their player doesn't have to come up with as many um, ways around like their deficiencies. Like, as long as you're in the game, you're like, yeah, you can penalize the enemy this way. I can distract them, put them off guard this way. I'll give myself this other advantage. Problem is solved. Both characters end up being equally valuable because it's not a hard well, you didn't have enough stats to do something useful in this situation. You can always adjust your stats in the game. Anyway. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about in t- on topic? Uh, we're an hour and a half in. Yep. Nope. I mean, I, I don't, I think it's funny that this is our, our topic because we're, we, the, uh, so many, <laughs> we're like, yeah, let's not do that as a thing. Yeah, I don't... We're, we're like, Mark's like, maybe this has value. And we're like, yeah, but none of us design games around that. So uh, we can't, so we I can. I mean, it could have value, but I think everything about this topic seems to come down to if you want to take advantage of this as a concept you basically have to have a very specialized set of players. And if you're playing with a more generic audience, like your friend's play group usually has like a few different type of play styles in it. It doesn't work like that. Like you have to have basically everybody on the same page to take advantage of this to any uh, mechanical degree. If you're going to build the game to base it on this concept. Oh, I just realized what I wanted to say. Uh, the uh, this concept, uh, we should have invited somebody. If anybody knows of a, a few of them, uh, we should have invited somebody who does uh, those who does World of Darkness play by post because that's an entire brand of person that probably has valid <laughs> opinions on this. I mean, that was me at one point, but it, yeah. Because yeah, I know there's, I have bumped up against several sprawling servers of those people, but I don't think I could summon any of them on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I have definitely, I have definitely been there. It's. Uh... I mean, there's the parceling server uh, as a lot of as a very similar vibe, which makes sense because it's uh, as a very similar vibe to World of Darkness. Yeah, in a in a in a weird 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not weird. Uh, it's no. Actually, it, Parcelings is literally a world of dark. Like, it, a lot of its mechanics are literally directly inspired by world of darkness mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it just never really, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that is, you know, as you're saying it, I'm I'm thinking, like, yeah, that makes, that totally makes sense, that tracks, but it's just, I never really considered it. It's, it didn't, it didn't it, I guess, you know what, it was because the aesthetic is so divergent from, from that, that it never really clocked as a World of Darkness-inspired game, even though. Yeah, like, it uses cards, which throws everyone off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh, who designs games with cards? No, I'm not. Weirdos. That, yeah. That's me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if I wanted to summarize sort of what we've talked about, it's that um, the idea of having elements of the, the core game that exists between sessions where players don't, um, aren't necessarily all clustered together has uh, some merit in the sense that players that want to engage in it can but it also comes with that double-edged sword of you end up creating an asymmetry between the players that do choose to do this or do have time to do it and will engage in the game differently or uh, leave certain players missing out on some of those elements of the game to a point where it doesn't work quite as well. There's also a side of um, players that have the time commitment might get more out of the, the game experience than others, which isn't exactly... Uh, what you're designing for. You really want everyone to leave with the, a similar feel of what the game is. Now, I think a lot of games still have these elements of like between session uh, character advancement or like mechanical uh, uh, design, which maybe that's great for those who, who have the time to dedicate towards it and it can give a different flavor like in, in Catrice's game where you can really develop what your character is about and what their strengths are um, and help speed some of the elements of the in-game process along. But you have to be careful not to uh, undermine the players that can't or don't want to engage in that element. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Like, it has to be done cautiously. Mm. I... I'm honestly aiming more for trying to just put stuff there. If you want to take advantage of it, it's here. If it's something that it's going to waste a lot of time in the game for people waiting on you, then better to do it between sessions. But otherwise, I don't I don't think it's a, a good idea for the wait. I'm setting things up because I want a divergent player, like a diverse player base, I suppose, like different mm. play styles so that they do the game differently. Mm -hmm. If if it was very niche where everybody was going to be on the same page, where this is a game built for people that want an infinite expanse of their time, like it will feel where they can fill any void and it will provide as much void as they want. I think that would be totally fine, but it would have to have a fairly narrow player base. Cause, cause even then there are single player role-playing games and that can potentially scratch some of that itch. It just doesn't necessarily need to come with the uh, 
I guess, what I would consider an in-session play experience where you have everyone else at the table. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you have a tailor-made experience for you wanting to role-play in a, a, I don't know, more isolated environment that doesn't cost anyone else their engagement with the, the core story of the game. So look for that experience, I guess, is what I would say. Design a game that, if you want it to be multiplayer, focuses around the multiplayer. If you want there to be a single-player element, you can design an element or a game that has a single-player element. But meshing the two together doesn't necessarily behoove you as a designer um, unless there is some limitation or, like you said, that careful understanding of exactly what the scope is of what that... Um, that single player experience is like, or that between session experience is going to be like. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it does. It does uh, bring bring to mind that what you could. I mean, how how players could do that in a journal without my sort of like encouragement at all. Mm-hmm. Just because I have mechanics for what they do in between the sort of talking bits. That okay. it's 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 conceivable it's conceivable that a, that a player a set of players uh, or a group could um, elect to do all of that stuff when they're not together. I never really thought about it till now, but yeah, I suppose that's hmm. would be possible. And then I I was thinking about this like how would you even play Ashes like as a play by post? And it would be something like that where people sort of do their journal thing and then like the results come out and then they post those and then there's a I guess the guide would then sort of ask how that how they want to resolve or how they do resolve those things and what what comes out of that and then they would go back into sort of a slowly because hmm. it's still a it's it's inherently asynchronous um but it is parallel like and there are there the the convergence points are this are I mean they're necessarily convergence points right so mm-hmm. they they they're gonna have points where the players have to are all affected by the same thing and so have to respond in some way or are asked well the way Ashes does it are the players are asked to be proactive in some way <laughs> rather than react. So, because the game system itself is reactive, rather than, it invites the players to be proactive rather than the other way around. Because mostly, most of the time, it's the it's the GM being proactive and the players being reactive. And my my structure is inherently uh, upside down from that. Yep. So session in between session stuff. Most of us don't like it. The end. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Good night, everyone. I guess that is the end of the episode. I guess so. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you if for listening. If it's not the end of the episode, I'm leaving anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It, it's always night where you are, but it is morning for me. Deal with it. It's morning for Catrice now. Good night.